Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. For the bettors out there, Bet Online is back and better than ever. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, and even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. The MLB playoffs are rolling, and the NBA and college basketball seasons are right around the corner. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. What's up, BBN? Welcome into another episode of Believe in Kentucky. Go straight to Believe.com, to the website itself, or go to Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to check out this episode. Cats are 5-0, just past Florida, moving on to LSU. And to preview the Tigers, give us a little insight on the Bayou Bengals. We got Preston Guy. From TigerBait.com, staff writer for the site, man. Preston, appreciate you hopping on the pod. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Vinny. It's been a little minute. You were you hopped on my little Cats Talk Wednesday podcast with, with myself and TB, and we chopped it up on there and, and appreciated you just as much then as we do now. Appreciate you hopping mm-hmm. on this one too, man. Oh, yeah, man. Times are different. Boy, they, they time shift real fast, man. Uh, yeah, that was fresh off a national championship appearance, and uh, things hadn't been quite the same here in Baton Rouge. Oh, man, and look, y'all follow Preston at pguy underscore 77, tigerbait.com. If you look at your header, it's <laughs> you with just that, that swag, just you can't tell me nothing, look on your face. You're at the game, and and – on the scoreboard is scrolling across national champions LSU because you were right there in the flesh to see. Yeah. So like, yeah, got to be on the field for that one. That, that, I mean, look, as a sports writer, you grow up, you know, loving all these sports and wanting to be there in the building, covering it for an event just like that, you know? So that, that as a writer for me, that was a bit of a dream come true getting to cover that event. Plus, you know, the other thing about you, you mentioned the, the, we'll call it a mean mug. Okay. Here's the deal. I'm in the same room as uh, Joseph Lee Burrow. Okay. Do you, that guy, he just, he oozes coolness and masculinity. You gotta, you got to give your best hard look when Joe Burrow's in the room because he doesn't miss ever. <laughs> that's true. So that's that's definitely what you were doing. And from from that point, you know, the, the confetti falling, the pure bliss, you know, LSU ran the table one of the greatest seasons ever, you know, knocking off Alabama and, and going on undefeated to the title game, winning the SEC championship game, the playoff, the whole nine. From that point to now, like when when did it like you went five and five last year? Obviously, that ain't LSU standards. What were the expectations going into the COVID year? When did things kind of get a little bit ratchet for for Coach O? <laughs> ratchet. Um, well, 
honestly, the day after the national championship, it looked like LSU was going to have a pretty good football team bringing back over. I mean, all the guys you would typically lose, you know, all those guys declaring early and whatnot, you know, Clyde Edwards, Elair, Justin Jefferson, you kind of expect to lose those guys after a championship run. That's perfectly fine. But really things started to unravel almost immediately afterward. Uh, Joe Brady, who you had just signed on an extension, took an offensive coordinator gig at the Carolina Panthers. You would hope to hold on to a guy like that. Dave Aranda took a job at Baylor, um, you know, and then, you know, this was one of the more underlooked things, but actually in February, following that January national championship, Cocho filed for a divorce with his wife. Now, usually I wouldn't bring stuff up like that, but a lot of personal things have come up for Cocho since that time, you know, that, you know, a lot of people are questioning and wondering about if the things that, you know, pictures that have surfaced are, is this appropriate for the program, things of that nature. Um, then of course, COVID hits and, uh, I, all last year I made excuses for the program because to me, they were valid. You know, I know coach O's never going to go up there and say, you know, this, but like COVID disproportionately affects teams that need that coaching time that need players gelling. You lost 19 of 22 starters, right. From that championship team. Uh, and you replaced effectively, you replaced both your coordinators because Joe Brady left. I mean, he basically was running the show of that offense. Right. So you really needed some time to gel and then injuries. Miles Brennan gets hurt after, you know, he was lighting it up statistically, not winning football games, but I mean, he was throwing the ball for, I mean, he had 1100 yards in three games with 11 touchdowns. He was doing very well. Um, opt outs disproportionately hurt the sell a shoe team. Um, you know, and the fact that the coordinator was switching schemes and then it turned out to be a very poor coordinator hire in Bo Pelini last year, I kind of made excuses. I was like, look, five and five in the SEC, if you have a four and out of conference schedule like LSU typically does and you go 500 in the SEC, we're basically just talking about like what an eight and four schedule. You know, I mean, that's kind of, you know, that that's to be expected after losing as much as you did. So that's kind of how I evaluated last season. I didn't really, you, COVID's a weird thing. You play nothing but conference games and, uh, you know, but coming into this season, um, expectations were a bit higher. Coach O did hire two new coordinators, both of whom had never actually called plays at the collegiate level or above really, which was, a bold move considering, you know, he knew there was now pressure to win. And he said, all right, well, these are the guys I'm putting faith in. Uh, I think they're going to come in and be like Joe Brady. You know, Jake Peets was a student of Joe Brady's at Carolina. Durante Jones was a student of Dave Aranda, who was at the Vikings at the time. Durante Jones was the one everybody questioned. But he's turned out to be pretty solid. Jake Peets, on the other hand, that offense is a disaster. So things are falling apart. And now we're looking back, man, what the heck happened? How do you have the 128th ranked running offense in the country at LSU? And we've gone back and looked at things like offensive line recruiting. LSU always has a top five recruiting class. It's it's every year. It's like, okay, great. But then you dissect it and like, here's the thing. On my show last night, I basically said, LSU at DB, wide receiver, um, uh, running back, uh, all, all those good skill positions is basically Alabama. I mean, if you look at the NFL players and stuff, they're the same at those positions. The difference is Alabama is Alabama in the trenches too. <laughs> so LSU in the trenches has struggled. And um, quite frankly, I've done some film breakdown on my show. And the way that offensive line is playing right now is embarrassing. Uh, I showed one against Central Michigan, one play where a, you know, two-star defensive tackle for Central Michigan, no disrespect to Central Michigan, but that's like, what, the fifth best school in Michigan. Yeah. Um, and he is mad. He is just completely dominating, not one, but two interior linemen at LSU. The center and the guard got completely blown up by one player. You know, and that, those things are happening a bunch. They're missing assignments. So the thing is, it's not, you know, there's just a lot of questionable coaching things that you look at on this team now, and it's like, what is going on? And it's just unraveled so, so, so rapidly for LSU. Yeah, and it's, 
you know, the, I guess going into the Auburn game, I was looking at his, like you said, LSU being 13th in the conference and rushing is, is just is weird. And it, yeah. I think they're averaging 80 yards a game going yeah. into Auburn, 320 yards in four yeah. games. And you're down there with Mississippi State, who who has no interest in running the football. They're, they're down there for a reason because all they do is chuck it around. LSU, I mean, it used to be you guys were running down your throat and everybody was – if we only had a quarterback, you bring in Zach no. Mettenberger. We we need if we could just get some, a little no. bit of a passing attack to complement this great running attack. And now yeah. it's vice versa. It is the, the script it is. is flipped. Well, and it's funny because a lot of the struggles we're seeing of this team is the exact opposite of a Les Miles team. So tell me if this doesn't just come out wrong out of my mouth. In the fourth quarter, going into it with a two-score lead against Auburn, right? LSU did not run the ball until they lost the lead with three minutes to play. They called 12 straight passes in the fourth quarter with a lead. And look, say what you want about not wanting to be conservative. Okay. Not wanting to be predictable. Like you, I get it. You want to put points on the board, win the game, man. I mean, not one run play in the fourth quarter until you blew the lead. You wait until you are now down behind the eight ball. Then you're going to run the ball once, you know, uh, that just, it's, it's, uh, it's almost a culture shock for LSU fans. I mean, because you know, the physicality, the run the ball culture of LSU, that's long gone under coach. O. he said, nah, we're going to move the ball, but now they just cannot run the gate ball and the questionable moves. So, so I get, that there's not too much you can do about having two interior offensive linemen that are getting blown up by a two-star defensive tackle playing for Central Michigan. Like, you know, there, there's only so much you can do to make a guy be bigger and stronger and block better, you know. But there's a lot of missed assignments blocking that I've dissected and been like, man, what are you doing? A high school team knows to block inside to out. Why are we doing this stuff? Um Questionable calls I just went through about not running the ball with a two-score lead in the fourth quarter. You did 12 straight passes. That's just a cardinal sin. Um, Things like there's, you know, LSU's had two running backs. Tyrion Davis-Price has been the starter for most of the year, and he's clearly just not a fit for this team because – uh, a north-south runner is what he is. He's really good, gets ahead of steam, finds a little crease and hits it hard, goes forward, makes one little sidestep move. But there's no hole. In fact, most of the runs on – and I believe this is a real average. It's, it's the average yards before contact is actually negative one. On average, the defenders are touching the running back before they make it to the line of scrimmage. If you're a north-south runner, that's not – there's no north you're just a south runner at that point because you got to make something happen you got to pull a little rabbit out of your hat so uh cory kiner has been the guy who's very much like a clyde edwards elair um got some moves can spin can juke goes east and west and i understand that you know the more traditional approach and more secure approach is to go with the, the the secure ball you know ball security north south runner but I mean, in this offense, you got to go with that. So he got five carries against Auburn, and fans are kind of like, man, what's going on? I mean, Corey Kiner's been pretty darn good uh, when he does get the ball, but it seems like the coaches are just very adverse to letting him go in and thrive. They keep on rotating him out. So uh, a lot of question calls. They're not – no draw calls. I mean, defenses are running weird – funky formations auburn was running a two four toward the end of that game two down linemen four backers and doing all sorts of stunts and twists it's working but it's kind of disrespectful because any coach with a solid running game knows all right go ahead and try these triple stunt twists and delay blitzes and two down linemen i'm gonna shove the ball up your throat and make you look stupid but ellis you can't because those disrespectful formations are are effective against the run. <laughs> that's, that's how bad it is. So you're, they're not doing draws. 
I don't think I've seen a single like halfback slip screen, like a traditional get three linemen out in front and slip it to the right back right behind them. They're not really doing things to make the defense get off their toes. These guys are straight white knuckling, leaning straight forward, all their body mass forward, and they're launching themselves straight to the quarterback. And 85% of the time, they're right. They, they, they play tic-tac-toe and they won 85% of the time, <laughs> you know, or rock, paper, scissors, and they won whatever, you know, yeah. and they're not doing a lot of just elementary things that, you know, I think a, a lot of people would, would highly recommend. I would highly recommend with a two score lead in an SEC football game uh, with a two score lead against Auburn that you run the ball a little bit, maybe, maybe one out of four plays you run the ball. At least try, even though you can't at least try to yeah. run a little clock or, or, or I mean, because the, the 12 passes, was it, was it, was it four, three and outs? Was it three? No, it was, it was three. So actually they got a, they got a couple first downs okay. uh, or, or one first down on their second drive. So it was pass, 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 punt. Then it was pass, 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 punt, then of course, mm. another three and out. So, yeah, it was three drives. And by the way, on those three drives, you ate up uh, right over just over five minutes of playcock. Five minutes on – you didn't even get two minutes per drive. You yeah. get 45 seconds in between each play. Exactly. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, man, it's it's uh, very disappointing, very questionable um, from uh, an observation standpoint. So I – I didn't catch the end of LSU Auburn. It was LSU was up nineteen to ten, I think. When I flipped mm-hmm. away and I was, I went back to you know doing uh, stuff for the end of Kentucky and Florida, and so I I came back and watched the post game show with yourself and Mike Scarborough there on TigerBay.com on on the YouTube uh, channel, and it was it was it was raw. It was right after the game. It was. You know, I don't know Mike, but he was wound kind of tight. I don't know if he's always that way. He was wound pretty tight during the show. You guys were both talking, but not like really talking to each other. Yeah. <laughs> and there was there was a lot of of course feedback, fan interaction, getting a lot of comments on the stream and all that. So now that we're you know three days removed, it, it seems like it, the emotion still hasn't come. Everybody still, everybody still ticked off. It's not like everybody had to take a minute to cool off. Everybody still feels the same yeah. way they did Saturday night. Well, us as media, we try to detach ourselves emotionally, but on these shows, I mean, we're there to kind of match the uh, energy of our viewers, yeah. you know, and explain to them like, okay, you know, they're probably having an emotional reaction to what they're seeing and watching. Is it validated? And 100%, as, as, as much as LSU fans commit themselves to this school, um, I mean, go, I mean, they fill up that stadium, 100,000 people in it. Uh, you know, the, the TAF funds committed to the university are massive. They have a $28 million locker room. Uh, you know, they, they, have, they have a reason to have an emotional connection. And when their program is not being managed the way it would like you would like to you would like to see it be managed you know we're going to address those things and and point out like yeah no uh you know the the issues that i've pointed out to you are pretty much inexcusable for you know a program like lsu uh especially you know considering uh i think lsu has a natural built-in advantage as a program just with its recruiting soil Uh, Of course, all the things around the program, you know, the Tennessee's of the world, they have the 100,000 stadium, they have the facilities, Tennessee has them, Texas A&M has them, a lot of programs have it, you know, there's probably 20 in the country or so who just have that elite, elite echelon facilities and whatnot around it. But LSU's got, uh, it's the only power five school in, in a talent rich state. Yeah, and that's a that's a huge advantage um, that you probably have to go 300 square miles before you find the next power five program. So all these kids from New Orleans, Lafayette, Baton Rouge, that there's just so much talent. They have to drive past LSU to get to any substantial school, you know, so it's it's a real built in advantage. So all these things combined. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh, 
unacceptable to see a lot of the the program where it's at and that's why we're in one of these rare bizarre situations where a championship coach is now on the hot seat within two seasons of winning it and not just winning it i mean that was the greatest season greatest team of all time um but as pete thamble for yahoo sports pointed out today miles ogeron both won a championship at lsu and neither one of them are respected as the x's and o's analysis guy that a lot of championship coaches are like Dabo, like Saban, like Urban Meyer. I mean, that's pretty much the five guys I just made. That's pretty much three-fourths of your championships over the last 20 years, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's not the coaches that have made these teams special at LSU. It's the program itself. Mm. And, you know, that's why LSU should consider itself a pretty lofty job and have high standards for their coaches. I was recording before we hopped on here, and, and I said it. I said, you know, Louisiana, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, four and five stars just fall off trees in Louisiana. It's Absolutely. Just- <laughs> they grow on trees, right? And that's the thing we, you know, we were talking about on our postgame show is talking about these speedy athletes, the corners, the safeties, the, the running backs. They, they, they're all over the place in Louisiana. You don't have to try hard to find a kid who could run very fast and very strong here in Louisiana. You know, the the quarterback and offensive line guys, a little tougher to find around here. You got to work for those guys. But, you know, breaking down the offensive line recruiting LSU's brought in over the last five years, it's really not great. A lot of years where it's just two or three linemen they're signing, and it was known that it was a need going into the season like yeah yeah we need we need some offense and you still brought in two or three guys and sometimes they aren't even all that highly recruited i mean there's been almost no five-star offensive linemen brought in the last few years so that's that's one of the main position groups i look at like yeah that's a highly ranked recruiting classes lots of shiny pieces where's the meat and potatoes where where's where's the trench man at yeah was this erosion was this you know, everybody kind of getting skeptical. Was this creeping in prior to the national championship season and then the championship kind of smoothed that over? Were y'all already seeing mm-hmm. cracks in the armor with Coach O before the title? Okay, so let me tell you this. In the 2017 season, a lot of people wanted him run out of town on his first year on the job. Lost to Troy, 9-4, and four, and the team had a stretch where it just looked incredibly bad. I mean, and, and then he had to fire his offensive coordinator first year on the job. It looked like the wheels were about to fall off that bus. If you remember going into the 2018 season, a lot of people were thinking LSU would go like six and six, seven and five. Joe Burrow went on national TV after destroying Miami. Um, uh, he, he said, you know, a lot of people say seven and five. I look around at this team and I say, we can be really, really good. There were some growing pains. Joe Burrow arrived a few weeks before the season, and that's hard to gel as your starting quarterback to just come in and learn it. Boom. They needed a few little pieces, but the talent was was there. And that was why people were frustrated at the 2017 team is like there's so much talent, but they just can't put it all together. You know, uh, and, you know, Danny Etling was OK, but he wasn't he wasn't great. Well, then just one year later, that 2019 season, boom, it all just came together. Everything lined up. The stars truly aligned. And everybody knew that Coach O was not your X's and O's guy. His formula was never to be the X's and O's guy. Day one. That was one of the reasons why when he was hired, I was actually opposed to the hire. And I was like, man, I look real stupid two years later because um, I said, look, you hire Coach O, I get it. He's they've got plenty of money. They're going to hire the best coordinator in the country. Right. And they're going to recruit at a very high level. I believe those things be true, but the, the reality is with coordinators is that they, they usually stay around about two years on average in the SEC. That's, that's reality. You got to go find a new great new coordinator every second year. Um, and you're one bad coordinator higher away from seven and five in LSU, because unlike like a Saban or a Kirby smart, he doesn't really know the strategy and the ins and outs of the football game. That's why he's not in Jake Pete's, who's a rookie offensive coordinator, not in his ear saying, I know we want to move the ball, but we have to incorporate some runs. That's why he's not saying, look, boy, they're running a 2-4 on us. Let's, let's see if we can sneak a draw in and see if we can catch them off guard and bust off a big run and make them respect our running game now. 
which then in turn opens up, you know, more time to pass the ball. You know, there's just certain schematic scheme things, and that's what we're looking at. We're looking at that season where you're one bad coordinator higher away, and we're there. We're there because there is no backup plan. There is no Coach O can step in and kind of run things for a while, you know, like a Saban could or like Mark Stoops could, you know. Um, it's just not there, and that that was the initial criticism. So, yeah, there were certainly signs of the wheels falling off I think Joe Burrow came in, went 25 and three and smoothed a lot of those things over. And there was a mass exodus of talent. Everybody cashed in while their stock was high. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's okay. He's done a good job recruiting more players. The coaches, I mean, honestly, he's had one good hire. (laughs) One good, that's Joe Bray. I mean, most of his hires have been pretty poor. Uh, The other thing about his equation, his, his special binder, as LSU fans, will, they kind of made fun of him because he presented a binder to Joe Oliva, and Joe Oliva was so blown away. Well, you know, if you're truly going to stick to that, hey, Coach O, after that championship season, don't negotiate for $7.5 million a year. Take your pay cut and keep it and throw that money at Joe Brady and throw that money at Jay Veranda. Be like, yeah, I know you want to go there. Yeah, Come on up. You're going to make just about as much money as me. That's truly what you would do to commit to that, but that wasn't done. Mm. It was it was almost like you know content set in. So things have really fallen apart quickly um, since then. And I'm gonna tell you another thing that's putting pressure on. I'm sure y'all have heard of Arch Manning. Uh, a lot of people, you know, he's in Louisiana and Newman. LSU's trying to go after him. LSU's probably not in the driver's seat for him at this point, but. The, the thing a lot of people don't know nationally, there's more talent in the next two recruiting cycles in Louisiana than there's ever been. Wow. Uh, so there's a huge decision of, okay, do you trust Coach O? You got the number one quarterback in the country the year before Arch Manning, who's a senior now, uh, Walker Howard, number one quarterback in the country committed coming to your program. So you got a big decision. Do you trust Coach O? to bring that talent in and then develop it into a championship caliber team. Cause make no mistake, it's championship caliber talent level. Uh, do you trust him to do it? Or do you think someone else, you, are you afraid he'll foil that talent and you need to have someone else do that? So it's a big decision. Yeah. So in a nutshell, if he had made better hires and recruited better on the O-line, that would cure a lot of these ills if we're just nutshelling. Oh, yeah. I think if you uh, are coaching and coordinating this team better right now, I think this team is a nine or ten win team. Mm. And if you fix the O-line, I mean, I mean, you're you're I don't want to say you're, you know, championship caliber, but you're you're one of the contenders. Wow. Now, Dare Rosenthal leaving Baton Rouge and coming to Lexington, how? How much would he have helped based on the way it sounds like things are now? Uh, yeah, so Dare Rosenthal, I, I think I saw Pro Football Focus has him graded out as Kentucky's best offensive lineman actually now. Um, and he would have been LSU starting left tackle. Mm-hmm. That left tackle position has been a merry-go-round of players. You've had true freshmen there. You've had guys get hurt. Cam Wire, the backup, who, you know, has had some moments he's been okay at times and not so okay at others. Uh, you know, uh, Anthony Bradford's another guy. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, uh, the tackle position has not been the worst, but it's not, no position grades out very well on the LSU offensive line right now. And I, I truly do believe that him leaving was a massive blow. Uh, even though that left tackle position isn't the worst one, there's still plenty of room between good <laughs> and where LSU's not worst defense, offensive lineman is. The, the interior lineman play has just been abysmal. Mm. Those three positions in the middle, I mean, they are just uh, getting in multitude of ways, by the way. They're missing assignments. They're getting blown off the ball. Um, but that being said, I do think that Dare Rosenthal being able to be a staple at that tackle would open up other guys to play in other positions, which made would help tremendously. I think that was a major blunder letting him leave campus. And I think Kentucky again is on the receiving end of a quality LSU football player uh, where compliance was a little too strict. And I, I likened it to a few episodes back, you know, 
the Yankees in baseball every every year in free agency they get who they want or they'll make a trade and seemingly get who they want and and be stacked every October and make a you know a World Series run. It's like the rich get richer. You know, there's no salary cap. They can afford whoever. You know, the struggling Pittsburgh Pirates can't afford who the Yankees can get. That's what Kentucky's offensive line has become. That's what we're wrapping our heads around. They're already one of the better lines in the conference. Yeah. And rich get richer. Here comes Derek Rosenthal from LSU because originally Darren Kennard was going to move from the right side to the left side. Yeah. And then you get Derek playing the left side and yeah. Darian stays on the right side and you have a veteran O-line. And yeah. like, wow, rich getting richer for us? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dare's one of those freak athletes. I had the pleasure of covering him while he was in high school at uh, Faraday High School. Um, now, his team lost in that playoff game to St. James, like, a lot. Um, but he actually was a defensive end. Uh, and I thought for sure he would be a freak defensive end. But, of course, it's one of those deals where, you know, uh, Coach Craig, while he was here, saw him his frame and said, man, look, you fill that frame out, you could be a darn good, a very athletic, good offensive tackle. And a lot of times defensive end or defensive tackle type guys, when they do switch over to offensive linemen, they are freaky athletic. And that's what you're getting was Dare Rosenthal. He's very athletic. It's kind of like when people talk about the, the tight end who played basketball, you know, like you were okay on the basketball court, but on the football field, you're a freak, yeah. you know, and that's kind of, kind of a similar scenario you're dealing with so yeah dare rosenthal i mean he's a good one man and uh, he's still a young player too i mean he could he could get really good yeah for sure now you guys you hinted at the the dc is like is he getting meddled like he can't he's not able to do his job is his hands tied is there is dc or oc let me ask you that uh, so oc Jake Pete is getting meddled with, is what I'm hearing. Okay. Over his now, shoulder stuff happened. He can't do a little job. over shoulder stuff. And Coach O's even said that they're considering bringing uh, Steve Ensminger, who was the offensive coordinator with Joe Brady, into the box to kind of help out. Mm. Me personally, seeing what I've seen, I mean, I would just straight up say, look, Pete, we love you, but go sit down. Ensminger's going to take over now because he's mm. a proven play caller. I mean, uh, Ensminger's actually really good at calling plays out of somebody else's playbook. And I think Jake Peets did bring a good playbook. I don't think Jake Peets knows how to call it well. Tempo. Uh, they tried up tempo for a couple games. And when they do the tempo, it's very well. He overthinks and just can't get a play call in. And the tempo slows down. And it's just been ugly. Um so it's 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 been a frustrating situation. So yeah, the, they are actually uh, getting involved with the offense. I don't know if it's helping. I think if you're gonna met, so Les Miles was famous for meddling. Is was was what you know because offensive coordinators would want to open it up, and he says no, we need more physicality, run the toss dive, and LSU famously lost big time games running the toss dive forty times a game. Um, and so it's a little bit of a like knee jerk reaction when you throw that term out here in Baton Rouge. However, uh, you would feel more comfortable with it if it was like, okay, if Mark Stoops is meddling with his offensive coordinator, the offense is probably going to get better. You know what I mean? Like, no one sits here and thinks, oh, yeah, Ogeron's going to get involved with the play calling. Man, that offense is about to get moving. Like, you know, that's not that that's not like the exciting part. So yeah, I've heard there's a little bit of meddling and micromanaging going on, but that's only been in reaction to you're not moving the ball. You have the 128th ranked rushing offense in the country. Yeah. You know, it's it's you earned that micromanagement and meddling. Defensive coordinator. You know, by all accord, he's been pretty average. I mean, uh, the defense actually hasn't given you too much to complain about at LSU. Has he been perfect? No. There's been a couple miscommunications, a couple blown coverages. Uh, but, you know, already Durante Jones is proving to be thousands times more reactive than Bo Pelini ever was. Uh, Mississippi State, I mean, Bo Pelini ran that 4-3 offense – all day long against 
uh, Mississippi State and refused to do zone coverage despite them doing seam routes and all this deep thruff. And he's like, all right, you're going to run a man. All right, we're going to do a crossing route, and your guy's going to have to follow him across the entire field. We'll see how that goes. Um, and LSU, they, they hung a god wad of points on LSU. Well, Durante Jones came out in that game, and he said, all right, Here's a three-two. <laughs> we're gonna run a three-two defense, and I'm gonna back my corners up, and you're gonna we're gonna give you the five-yard dink and dunks. I don't think you can do the five-yard dink and dunks consistently enough to win this football game. And he was right. Now at the end, there was a, a big collapse. I think guys got kind of exhausted, and quite frankly, I mean Mississippi State's got a good passing offense. I mean, make no mistake that Will Rogers is is that's a guy. That's a good passing off. And, you know, they made some plays late, but, you know, the defense was in position where they had that cushion. Um, so it is very much so a bend don't break philosophy for that defense. And I think that defense personnel wise is lacking in a few, not, not like glaring lacking holes, like LSU's offensive line where you've got guys out there who you would normally like to be third string starting or, or guys like, I mean, LSU starting center right now is a guy who transferred from Harvard and won the starting job right away. Wow. That's never like a good thing. Uh, you know, like, you know, yes. And it win the job. But ooh, that's not like great. So uh, linebacker, there's a few linebackers who are built for the 3-4 defense. Damone Clark being one. I mean, he's racking up tackles left and right, but he's not like a great coverage backer. So there's a few personnel things, but I don't think anybody's looking at this defense right now and says, this is going to take years to fix. It's pretty good. The defense is good enough. Uh, So from what I'm hearing, they're not really messing around with the DC. He's kind of earned his keep. And Stingley's going to be out and – of course, he was an all-world corner. You still had another good corner on the other side. Very sad. Then Major Burns is going to be out as well, it looks like. so. That's correct. Yeah, so a bunch of DBs out. Now, I'm going to tell you this right off the bat. That's the position where if you're going to get some injuries, you want some injuries that okay. you could pick. Do not, please do not get an offensive lineman hurt. Please, for the love, because those DBs might be playing offensive line. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> um. But, uh, obviously, I think Derek Stingley Jr., when he's healthy, is one of the best players in the country, if not the best. Um, And it's been sad because he's been banged up a lot over the last two years. I do think that he's at a point with his draft status where if any mild nick or bruise or bump, he's pulling himself out for for safety reasons. He doesn't want to make it worse. Um, But that being said, he's got surgery he's going to have on his foot. He'll be out indefinitely. Major Burns hurts to lose as you're starting safety, but there's some other starting safeties. There's some other guys who have started some football games and played well for you. Of course, you just got back Jay Ward, your other starting safety, uh, and you have Todd Harris, who's been around for quite a while, a veteran guy. And then you've got a five-star Sage Ryan as a freshman who a lot of people are really looking to see. So I do think that's going to hurt losing both those guys. I mean, we're talking about two very good players. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, they've got, you know, Cordell Flott played very well coming in last week. Uh, Dwight McGlothern's another guy who can play well. And Eli Ricks might be the next best corner in the country behind Stingley. So, I mean, LSU's got DBs, um, but it is going to take a step back from what we've seen. Mm-hmm. And now you hit. You know, which every team in SEC has the schedule, and then you have the gauntlet portion of the schedule. Kentucky's in that now. You know, you had Florida and LSU, and then Georgia. Yeah, it's the the toughest portion, the meat of the schedule. You know, Kentucky is ranked now. I don't. Y'all probably didn't expect that when the season started. You you just finished with Auburn, who went in Baton Rouge for the first time in. 20 plus years and then you got Kentucky and then Florida and still everybody else in the West, you know, Arkansas is, you know, better than everybody thought Alabama, you know, A&M. So it's, it's it's a rough stretch coming up the rest of the way for, for coach O and LSU. Well, I'm going to tell you this after central Michigan, LSU started to do some things that were working and doing better. 
Uh, and you might say, oh, well, that's Central Michigan. Well, they weren't against McNeese State the week before when they only scored 30-something points, right? Um, and they were starting to do some – working on themselves and do some things against Mississippi State. They kind of took a step back. And then at Auburn, they took like 30 steps back. Um, and, it, you know, you had the team looking in the right direction a couple weeks ago. And I said, look, Mississippi State – Auburn, who had just struggled with Georgia State, of course, yeah. and then Kentucky, who hadn't beat Florida at the time, I said, "Look, you've got a stretch here. You might, you might be five and one going into that Florida game." Well, turns out that gauntlet started two weeks earlier because Auburn came in and beat you, and now Kentucky looks like a a, a force to be reckoned with. Um, certainly better in the trenches. That's that's for sure. Uh, I think we kind of knew that Kentucky was going to be good in the trenches, but I don't think we quite knew Kentucky is going to be as good as they've been this year, undefeated and playing for a lot, quite frankly. Um, and I think one of the things you have to be excited about as a Kentucky fan, college football this year is more wide open than I've seen it in decades decade plus i mean really you think about all these traditional powerhouses who have been so dominant the ohio states the clemsons you know you, you can throw lsu in that in there if you want but i mean obviously most years they haven't been elite elite like those guys have and they're, they're showing a lot of kinks in the armor even bama i mean they they barely beat florida then in fact i'd say the only team who's looked elite consistently has been Georgia. And then now you can kind of argue that, okay, well, they only scored 10 points on Clemson. Maybe, maybe, maybe Clemson isn't that good. So if you're a team like Kentucky, you've got a very good team, a lot of good things going for them. I'd be very excited because this is a year where I would expect pandemonium. It is not near. There's more parity and the league is less top heavy than it's ever been and uh, quite frankly a team like kentucky has a good chance to go out there and do something big i mean real big um it, it, i think that covid opened up a lot of opportunities i remember talking about this a year and a half ago saying i bet the next two recruiting cycles are going to be the most uh wildly misevaluated recruiting cycles ever you missed out on a ton of camps a ton of visits and a lot of players committed to schools they have never even been to and i think that that's going to create parity this year and probably next that a school like kentucky with a good football coach sitting there has been waiting for because that talent gap you know what i mean it's tough to infiltrate that talent gap like you're saying the new york yankees well guess what they took away the salary cap a year you know yeah. uh so uh this is this is a particular year i'd be very excited to be in a five and zero position and he's he's methodically built it and, and like i said for you know for most of us this you, you're wrapping your head around it there's been yeah. There's been good stretches, but it was it was air raid in the '90s. You got out, score people. The trenches weren't what he's right where they are now. Um, everybody was hoping that they could handle their business and be four and zero going into the Florida game. They were able to do that. Offense is still a work in progress. You got a new offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen, comes in from the Rams. Hadn't called plays at the college level, so still trying to get that going. There's still some misfires, and and they're off. But it's also the the transfer portal. You know, Darren Rosenthal, who we already talked about, Wondell Robinson from Nebraska. He's, you know, a Kentucky kid. And when he was being recruited, he saw the offense and was like, I don't I don't think I want to go there. I'm not really a fit. It's the change that comes in and, and he's leading the league in receiving. Will Levis from Penn, Penn State and then Jacques Jones from, from Ole Miss, who's out there making plays, who had the you know, pass breakup. To, to save the game. So you could argue his transfer portal work has been just as impactful as, as the recruiting improvements that we've seen recently too. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's always a good thing, especially when you're picking up, you know, guys who are leaving schools for reasons that aren't like, okay, I just got beat out or something like that. I mean, there's a few quality players you were naming in there who didn't leave just because they weren't good enough to make the cut. I mean, you know, the Joe Burrow type transfers of the world are few and far between, but, um, you know, I, I'd say 80% of transfers you do get are going to be kind of like bus type. Like there's a reason it didn't work out, but 
you know, nowadays with, you know, compliance departments and all this good stuff. I mean, there, there's, I mean, there's a lot of guys you can get into and it, it looks like Kentucky's been doing a very good job of that. Yeah. It's, it's better than it's ever been. I've got a couple more questions for you, Preston, but I've got to tell you about our sponsor on the podcast. Uh, listen to the, the law firm that you guys are sponsored by the other day, but I got to tell you about La Terrain Watches that sponsored the Believe in Kentucky podcast. Look, men, ladies, whatever you, whatever type of watch you want, they've got it. You know, it's, if you want to go casual, if you want to go a little more dressy, they got the bands, they got the accessories, uh, they got the customer support. Go to LaTerrain.com, Dave and Ben. You hit the chat button, they get back to you themselves. It's not some bot that's trying to answer your question. Um, several former players have you know, come into the La Terrain brand and, and started endorsing them. So if you're just tired of just looking at what time it is on your phone, you might want to have that timepiece on your wrist. La Terrain watches is where you want to go. LaTerrain.com, L-A-T-O-U-R-A-I-N-E.com. Tell them you heard about them on the Believe in Kentucky podcast and find the style of watch that you want to get for yourself because they definitely got it. So always got to give love to La Terrain. Huge supporter of our podcast. I got to switch real quick to, uh, you mentioned some compliance and things like that. Um, Will Wade, what's up with him? Because, you know, (laughs) we kind of always like looking like, man, this this dude is still there. This dude is, is, so what's what's going on with him? He's kind of quiet now, but, you know, we've seen him do some stuff where he's, you know, maybe should be in a little bit of hot water. And and what's up with him right now? Well, there's definitely been some things to come out where, you know, it definitely looks bad on the surface, but um, without getting too much in the detail, it's about one of those things, you know, when when these type violations occur, you have to have concrete evidence and proof. And apparently it's been a sticky situation. Um, you know, I don't have too, too much more on that. I mean, I do expect something. Yeah. will come across eventually but that being said it's been about two or three years since that stuff came out and we still really hadn't seen much i mean we'll wait got suspended and you know all this good stuff um but you know i think the ncaa just has bigger fish to fry maybe that's that fish fry you were talking about on my show before exactly. we got in <laughs> but um it's been a lot of time know. in louisville down the road from us that that gets a lot yeah of- so yeah that yeah you know that's what i'm saying so now they're kind of seeing a bunch of stuff and you know coming out from a lot of the powerhouse type basketball programs um so it's been kind of just real quiet i mean they, they really are seem to be in not much of a rush pursue these things if they're going to uh i I would suspect that if it were so serious that it would eventually lead to will wade's termination they they would have been pressing things a good bit harder than they have um and that being said will wade's continued to recruit at a very high level despite having a giant magnifying glass all over him now and not to mention there was also some stuff some recruiting violation stuff coming out about lsu's athletic program as a whole with the the, there was a hospital foundation in town um but that that affected a little bit of football players uh too and that's already worked its course out and lsu you know got its little slap they bowl banned last year and um they they you know have have done their scholarship limitations and seems to have worked its worked its course but it seems like you know they're kind of coming out on the other side of things for basketball program i'm not full disclosure i'm the football beat writer at tigerbait.com as an avid basketball fan uh but um it's not what makes my paycheck here but Uh, I do think they're going to have a very good basketball team this year. I'm very excited to see it. Um, a lot of guys have kind of come out early and say that they're kind of expecting to see a, a Final Four type run out of this team. Uh, and a lot of good players coming in. So uh, we're excited to see. I think Will Wade's done a pretty darn good job, you know, if you just ignore the recordings that have come out. Exactly. Exactly. Um what about the 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 title nine stuff does did that increase the heat on O at all is that a factor or is it just kind of on the back burner and it's just yeah. on the field that's everybody's worried about what's going on with that yeah i think that that's one of those things that is just going to be quietly handled 
uh, moving forward. I don't want to go into too many specific details about the case, but no, it doesn't help at all. Right. Uh, anytime you're named in a situation and then, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to be careful here. Cause I try to be careful when talking about someone's personal life. Cause quite frankly, in the age of social media and everybody having smartphones everywhere you go. I mean, a lot of stuff comes out. That's nobody's freaking business. Mm-hmm. I mean, and just cause you're, you know, but there've been some photos, some compromising photos that have come out of coach O since that divorce. And that's not a good look amidst a title nine type case. It's also not good that he was named at all in it whatsoever. And of course, you know, a very small portion of what was going on with Darius Geis was while, you know, he was the coach there um, because Darius Geis did play a few games, just a handful of games under coach O. So there was some, you know, stuff going on. We don't know to the extent or anything, but yeah, that doesn't really help. I'm going to tell you this. um, So a lot of agents and media and things are now looking at, Ed Ogeron as an inevitability, not like a, if he will be fired, it's a matter of when. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the potential coaching search that would come up, you know, there was a lot of people throwing that Urban Meyer name out there. Of course, Scott Woodward, the athletic director at LSU, has a strong reputation of making big splash hires. He hired Jimbo Fisher at AM. He hired Chris Peterson at Washington. He hired Kim Mulkey at LSU now, that Baylor three-time champion women's basketball coach. He likes big, big hires. Um, so a lot of people were throwing Urban Meyer 0-4 at the Jaguars. I'm going to tell you where the Title IX stuff comes in. He's off the table now. After that, yeah. I mean, after that video came out last week, like, okay, come on. You can't – there's certain PR things like – and not to mention his checkered past – of stuff with assistant coaches and stuff. Um, you might be able to sweep it under the rug, you know, oh, that was 10 years ago or whatever, you know, uh, and move on. But now that that's come out, uh, it's a real sleazy look publicly. And I'm not going to, that's not me saying that. I'm just saying what the public perception is. Cause yeah. I mean, I'm just personally, I don't like judging people based off of stuff that 20 years ago would have never, <laughs> no one would have ever heard of it at all uh and i i almost look at it as an evasion of privacy but uh that's the reality is that's a viral video barstool sports is all over it with six thousand memes and the memes that would come out if lsu hired him amongst a title nine type situation would be hilarious epic but devastating for the program be like if michigan state hired urban meyer after the nasser stuff the same thing Just just certain. And I'm going to tell you another guy who is completely off the table, Hugh Freeze, who a lot of people are talking about. And Hugh Freeze is that's just with all this stuff, you cannot go with anybody uh, who has a dicey pass with that kind of stuff. You really want someone squeaky clean. You know, you want like a Tim Tebow, you know, but like, <laughs> yeah, maybe someone with a little bit of something there from a long time ago, but uh, oh, no recent, no, yeah, exactly, front baggage. No, you can't, no viral baggage where the president of your team had to go out and issue an apology recently. And okay. uh, you know, I hear that that was more likely than you would think. I'm not gonna say, you know. It was like the front runner, but I, I do know that it, it there was um, there you know with Scott Ward would def- go after that beforehand. There was going to be some pursuit. There was going to be some substantial money on the table, and of course you're you know anytime you're the coach of the Jaguars, you're liable to vote at any time. Let's be honest. So there was there was something there, but not anymore. So that's where the Title Nine stuff. Uh, could have a lasting impact. Just truth be told, I think all the other stuff is going to be something that is um, survivable, manageable. Um, yeah, but you could argue that not getting hire an elite coach like an Urban Meyer that could have decades long impact. Exactly. So, man, appreciate you dropping all the knowledge. Uh, I hate that there's so much stuff swirling around down there. Um, hey, look. Laissez le bon temps rouler. That's what we say down here, man. We just pop another boudin, drink another beer, and we roll with it. Absolutely. Are you coming to Lexington? You gonna be up this weekend? I will not be at Lexington. No, we try to. We've um, 
Uh, we do our post-game show right after the game now, so we're actually better set up to cover the game for these away games. We cover them from afar. So, uh, yeah, but we'll definitely be covering it. We're looking forward to it. Uh, we're, we're happy for what y'all got going on at that Kentucky program. Yeah, man, appreciate it. And, look, we hope you kind of get right next week against Florida. That's correct. <laughs> the hope is. But for all the LSU fans that are coming, look, look Keeneland is going to be open in the weekend. It's going to be popping for all the – the race fans and like the last time LSU was up, I think it was 07 uh, when they played in Lexington when Les Miles was there. I think that was a Keeneland weekend too. So the LSU fans love coming out to Keeneland and, and, and seeing the sights. And so Lexington yeah. is a fun place this weekend for, for all the purple and gold that is coming. So hope everybody has a, a fun yeah. weekend while they're up here. That's wild to me. That, that, that tells me right there the SEC needs some restructure. If 07 is the last time LSU made it out there, yeah. that's that's yeah. bonkers to me. Are you kidding me, man? There's kids watching the game who hadn't even been born in 07. I mean, come on, man. What are we doing, SEC? I think the time before that was Bluegrass Miracle, too. Yeah, see, it's, it's been, yeah, just two great games on both ends of the spectrum. And to that point, uh, Texas A&M hasn't been to Lexington yet, uh, as far as in football. So you it just it just you know get the pods or whatever you got to do. Yeah, I'm gonna say wait, wait, wait. What's your what's your take on the Texas Oklahoma thing? Then uh, are we we in favor of pods like that? Yeah, which if they're coming, I like the the, the pod deal. Everybody, you rotate them in, and you get you get everybody played more. You know, it, I agree. It's, it's, I agree. It's a, it's a travesty. And what's funny is like with the pod situation you play everybody every other year yeah yeah we're with less teams in the conference now (laughs) you play them every what is that every fifth year you know you get to play every sec and then in 12 years you get no it's every sixth year you get to play because you have one rotating opponent man yeah bozo decided that was a good idea man that's not a conference it's crazy it was Kentucky's made one trip to A and M, that was twenty eighteen, the nine and three year, and A and M still they they don't they never been Lexington, so it's and there's every team can say that about their you know cross sectional opponent and haven't played you know, it's weird. So yeah. yeah, bring on Texas and Oklahoma, and and they can see what it's like in this league week in and week out, and we can get everybody played more often. We can go to the Grove, and you know y'all can go to Columbia, South Carolina, and. Uh, you know, Vanderbilt and Missouri, everybody can be everywhere. Just just mix it up the way it should be. Cause how can you how can you even call yourself a conference when you don't even play? You know, just... <laughs> it's almost like the SEC office is like located right next to Tuscaloosa and they just kind of do stuff that benefits and then you know it's not that way though, I'm sure. Yeah, of course not. Of course not. But yeah, we're on the same page and I appreciate you taking the time, man. What's What's the next thing coming down the pipe for you on on TigerBait.com? What you got in work? Well, we do my weekly podcast, the LSU Football Fix, every Tuesday night. I've had some fun guests come on, including the quarterback of the Bluegrass Miracle, Marcus Randall was on earlier, and Michael Clayton, who tipped the pass there. So I've been having some fun guests come on. We had a fellow Believe podcaster, uh, Ray Corfino, on this week, and we had an awesome show last night. So you all can always catch me there, TigerBait.com youtube page you can't put a dot so just tigerbait.com is our youtube page go subscribe we talk about all sorts of sec teams good stuff you can follow me on twitter i love talking about sec sports in general at pi underscore 77 i appreciate i love it when fan bases come and harass me on twitter uh love it so just come in and put check me in my place guys i'd appreciate it hey you're definitely a good follow been following you for a minute now and uh Y'all do the same once this podcast is up. Y'all check it out wherever you get your podcast. Rate, review, subscribe, give us a like. Tell your friends, retweet it. Good old-fashioned, old-school, word of mouth, all of the above. And definitely enjoy this episode of Leaving Kentucky with Preston Guy. Man, Preston, I appreciate you. Thank you, Vinny. Appreciate you having me on. Hey, have a safe night. And everybody listening, have a safe weekend. It's been another episode of Believe in Kentucky. Brought to y'all by Bet Online. Take care.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.